us and I hope that you will find this service encouraging and uplifting to you and your family. I want to show something up here on the PowerPoint. Are we both working? Are both of them working now? Jason? Both of them working? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. We had a little trouble last week. That's good. I'm glad they're both working. I want you to see it. I don't know if you've ever seen this item or not. It might be a surprise to some of you, thinking, well, I've, I've never seen that before. Well, it's this right here. Have you ever seen that? Of course you have. You see it all the time. 94% of the world's population can recognize this product. They control half the market in carbonated drinks. When John Smith Pemberton invented Coca-Cola, and started selling it at a pharmacy. He was selling nine bottles a day. Today, Coca-Cola products will be sold to one in every four people on the planet. 1.9 billion Coca-Cola products are sold each day. Marketing of Coca-Cola is amazing because of these facts. And why is that? Why has it become so popular? It was popular at one time because they put drugs in it, all right? They're going to buy it. They got customers for life. They put a new drug in it now. It's called caffeine. That won't make me do crazy stuff, so that's okay, I guess. But they don't sell a drink. They sell an abstract, positive concept. And your best advertisers do this. They sell happiness relaxation, friends, love, people spiking volleyballs. I've never spiked a volleyball after drinking a Coca-Cola. Maybe I'm putting too much ice in it. I don't know. But Coca-Cola engages with their customers in a very amazing way. Some of these you'll recall. The name on a bottle. You went and you found your name on a bottle. And they wanted to engage with the public in a personal way, so they started putting names. This was first test marketed in Australia. And they, would, they put the top 150 names on the label of the Coke, and it sold amazingly well. Then they also had the shareable can, which we haven't seen here in America, I don't think yet, but the shareable can, where it's a can just like this, made, it's not made out of aluminum, I think it's made out of plastic. But you take it and you split it apart and you hand it to, some, you hand it to someone else. And you have your hand. It's called a shareable can. Their marketing tactics are truly amazing. And they've spread like wildfire over the last 100, over 100 years. And it's the product still that we know today. Well, what can we learn from this? Well, what we can learn is we need to start thinking about how we are marketing the gospel. Evangelism in 2021, 2022, in the 20th century, we want to think about it in terms of a modern way, which really isn't very modern at all. I'll tell you that in just a moment. But what I want to be sure that we say is, even though we want to think about marketing the gospel, what we don't want to do is add to it or, or take away from it at all. We don't, we don't want to change the message, but perhaps the delivery method at times needs to be recognized. And it, of course, needs to be in a modern way, which we do that as well. We here at Birdwell's Chapel, we do have very modern ways of marketing the gospel and of what we do here. But Jesus himself was a marketing expert. He spoke to people, right? He spoke to them directly. That's the owner taking ownership of his product. He told his disciples to go tell other people 
That's mouth to word of mouth advertising. Okay, that's what he was doing then. He argued with his competitors. He debated them. And this is a commercial in the moment for people to decide. He performed miracles. And that's known as a live demonstration. Jesus was an expert at marketing what he wanted to tell people. And we can look at the marketing world today and learn lessons from that. For We live in a world where constant messages come towards us for products that we didn't even know we needed. You know, I didn't know I needed a banana slicer. There's actually a product on Amazon, a banana slicer. You peel it, put it on there, slice it. The reviews are what you need to read, okay? You don't need to buy the, don't buy the product, don't do that. But the reviews are amazingly funny, all right? But people thought they needed it. I need a banana slicer. I got one right now. I probably got 30 in my drawer. It's called a knife, okay? But the people who had this product, they, they had something, man, and they've sold a ton of them. But we also see ads constantly trying to persuade us to think in a particular way. Not just selling a product, but like Coca-Cola, selling an idea. Selling a concept. And a lot of people are very good at that. We could easily here, even, have a deacon over marketing. Would not be, called, would not be uncalled for. Although marketing the church does feel a little strange whenever I say it like this. I think you'll see the wisdom in this though, as we continue. But it does feel a little strange, and here's one of the reasons why. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6 says, When you pray, go into your inner room. Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So part of our Christianity, you know, is hidden. At least this part is. But there's also Matthew 5, 14 through 16, which says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we're not to hide our Christianity entirely, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we're not to hide our Christianity either. It has a lot to do, it has everything to do, with why we are doing what we are doing. Are we doing it to be noticed? That was the lesson regarding the prayer in Matthew chapter 6. There were Pharisees who wanted to stand out in front of everyone and say, look how holy I am. Look at, look at my prayer life. Look at, look at how uh, eloquent I can be in my speech to our Lord, to our Heavenly Father. That, and Jesus said, don't be like that person. Okay, but He also says, let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't put it under a basket. Be that city on a hill. Okay? Be that salt. So there are things that we want people to notice about our Christian life. And whether we realize it or not, we are marketing our Christianity at all times. From what you wear to how you act and walk, you are constantly signaling to the person, to the world, who you are and what you stand for. You become a walking advertisement for things that you love the little logo on your shirt, to the types of shoes you wear. You are telling the world what kind of person you are. May we not hide our Christianity, but rather show the world who we are as we are a walking billboard for Christ. And whenever we are a walking billboard for Christ, we better make sure it's turned on. We better make sure that if it's one of those turning, you know, you might be showing, 
you know, Matthew one day and Luke the next. It's just one of those turning billboards, you know. But I hope it's not broken. They're always broken going towards Nashville. But when it's turning, hopefully it's showing those messages of things that you believe about Christ and about how you should live. There are four components of marketing we're going to talk about today. The product, the pricing, the placement, and the promotion. They all start with P. You should be able to remember that. First off, though, we're going to look at product. The product, of course, is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that directs your path to a better, to be a better person, to a better way of life. Whenever you find a new product, you talk about it, right? You talk about how it changes your life. Whenever I, you know, um, discovered, you know, a shampoo or something or some new product, you want to tell people. I like Buff City Soap. You're going to see me down there. I ain't, I ain't afraid to admit it. It's a fantastic product. When I changed soaps, it, it felt good. I'm on, I ain't going to lie. It feels good on your face. makes your arms feel nice, you know. I like to feel nice. So I want you to know about that. I want you to know about that particular product. So why aren't we, why don't we, talk about what's changing our spiritual life, our inner life? We should. We should more often. Sometimes we're afraid to. We're going to get into that. But sometimes we're afraid of the product. Maybe we don't understand the product. Maybe we don't have the relationship with the product that we think we do. But we should have a deeper and better product. People don't want to market their faith, though, ultimately because they don't want to hear no. That's probably the primary reason. You're going to hear this, even though you have a perfect product. You're going to hear no. But reaching and reaching people creates a dynamic where a person will say yes or no. You talk about any product, any restaurant that you like, and you tell somebody about it, somebody's going to say no. That's part of that dynamic. In, Luke, or in the book of Luke, we hear this, the one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. When the person is telling you no, they're really not telling you no. They're telling Jesus no. So don't take it personally. You're simply His disciple. You're simply spreading the good news of the good word of the gospel. That's what He has asked you to do, commanded us to do. So now we go forth and we're afraid. We don't want to tell people about our faith. We've got to keep this part in mind. We need to be courageous whenever we are showing people our faith and being that example to other people. Revelation chapter 21 says this, but for the blank, we're going to get to the blank in a moment, but we oftentimes look at the rest of the passage. But for the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We know those, right? We can understand that. But what's in the blank? Cowards. The cowards will burn in the lake will will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. That is a sobering fact. We cannot be cowardly about our faith. May we not be cowardly about what we believe, but find instances, find ways to tell other people. What we're selling is not an easy life, but what we are selling is a better life, and we want our marketing to be good. Now Coca-Cola, as good as they're doing, did not always do so well. To hear some tell it, April 23rd, 1985, was a dark day in the history of Coca-Cola. For on that day, they proclaimed to the world 
that they were going to introduce to us new Coke. We ain't all about this now. But they did it. They did their testing. They said, we want a new formula. They did all kinds of different tests and things, and they said, this is what the world wants. Well, people were angry. People were angry, especially us southern people who call every carbonated drink Coke. That's what it's called. Coke was created in Atlanta, Georgia in 1886. And this was the first time the company, for the most part, changed its formula in 99 years. They thought they were making a good decision. But protests began in downtown Atlanta with signs that said things like this, No new taste and our children will never know refreshment. Please help us get this new Coke out of here. Some people hoarded as much as 900 bottles in their basement. Have we lost our minds? But we are devoted to things such as this. But we're devoted to our faith too. Sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes we don't know how to communicate it. But on a hot day in July, news broke out that old Coke was going to be a different thing and classic Coke was making a comeback. This made the front page of virtually every newspaper in the country. Consumers applauded the decision. And in two days, the company received over 31,000 telephone calls. And they normally only got about 400 a day. Coca-Cola was obviously more than just a soft drink, to be sure. What can we learn from this? Well, one of the things we can learn and why this product is important, this and the gospel product, people want the real thing. People want the real thing. They want Christians to be real. They want their congregations to be real. They don't want them saying one thing here and doing something else elsewhere. There should be protests. There should be people upset whenever the church starts to change and be something other than it's not, or be something other than what it was intended to be, because our beloved product is changing in a way in some places that we should not want it to happen. And that's why. That's why we become solid here and say, we don't want this or that, we want the real thing. We want the real thing here in our lives, because the product is indeed that important. Next is pricing. You ever had a meal paid for by someone or anything like that? They, you know, they do a lot of this pay-it-forward stuff in the restaurants. And this happened twice this week at two restaurants in town. Somebody, you, know, you pay for yours, and then you say, I'm going to pay for the person behind me. And then that person does it, and that person does it, and they keep paying it forward, as they say. And We, we like free stuff, don't we? And that's a blessing. That's a blessing to your life whenever someone gives you something. And our salvation, indeed, has been paid. Peter says this, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. You know, you, you've been bought, not, not with gold or, or simple things like that, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. The blood of Christ. You weren't bought with some change that I could just put in my pocket, but rather you were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that price that was paid, you indeed are free. But we'd rather earn a different wage sometimes. The wages of sin is death. That's the gift a lot of people look at. That's the wage, rather, that a lot of people look at. And they forget about the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love free stuff. 
don't we? That's good. And it is free, but it ain't free. It's free that we don't have to pay for it. Somebody else paid that ultimate price of giving his life for us. But it does cost us in another way, and we are happy to give it. When someone takes care of something for you, you want to show your appreciation. That if you're able to thank that person, you want to do that. A lot of the people who are paying it forward took to Facebook and they, they posted to the person in the silver Silverado or whatever the truck was or vehicle was, thank you for paying that. And I, I continued it on. For they were grateful that that person had done that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 talks about us being a living sacrifice. Okay, a sacrifice isn't free. Okay? There's an element here as well where you have to look at the price that was given to you and you have to say, I'm going to live for that person. Okay? The price that was paid by Jesus Christ is such a, such a huge price that we must be willing to now give of our life to Him through that living sacrifice. In James 1 and verse 22 says, Prove yourselves doers of the Word and not hearers only who delude themselves. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ compels us because He paid that price, because we don't have to give that price ourselves, but rather be a living sacrifice, that love compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. We die to sin, we turn away from our old lives and we turn to a new life and we live for Him because that price was paid and we are so thankful that it has been. Next is placement of the product. I'm going to introduce a, another product this morning, uh, the competitor of our beloved Coca-Cola, that being Pepsi. You ever seen this bottle? You recognize that? Probably not. Some of you will. It was in Back to the Future 2. This was the bottle that was used in the flash forward in Back to the Future 2 where they went into the future. Pepsi paid to have that product placement there because Pepsi is the future. That was the message that was given at that point. You didn't see Coca-Cola. You didn't see other products. What you saw was Pepsi. And in those days, in the late 80s, there was various names that it went by. So their name in the future is Pepsi Perfect. Oh yes, Pepsi Perfect. It is, isn't it? I'm not a Pepsi person myself, but some people are. And it worked on them, as many other products do work. Other product placements in Back to the Future, Nike Shoes, Kellogg's Cereal, and Scott Paper Towels. In a lot of our more recent movies, such as a lot of the Marvel movies that have come out with the superheroes, they'll pay certain actors to hold a can or a bottle of something for that product to be placed appropriately. Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid Part 1 was paid to hold a particular bottle of soda. I forget which one. He didn't particularly like the idea. He didn't want to feel like a sellout, I guess, and he covered his hand over the label in Karate Kid Part 1. He didn't want to have that influence. That's such of an influence on people. But here, product placement is very, very important. What is our placement? How are we recognized as a congregation and as a person? Well, hopefully, we are recognized by our name, the Church of Christ. And with some people, that might carry a negative association due to unfortunate experiences that they have had with members of the Lord's church. 
But I would think as an overarching term, as the beloved name that it can be viewed as, I hope we would want others to see that same thing. Christ died for it. Why wouldn't it be called that? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of the Lord's church, the one that He died for? Why would you not want to be a member of that? And hopefully we're recognized as such, for we were not created by a man, and we do things like unlike many in the religious world. We're different. As the Lord has called us to be, we're different from the world, but we're also different from many religious organizations. So we have to recognize, and in many circumstances, in many ways, embrace that placement. Our physical placement here is actually at a crossroads. And people are quite often at a crossroads in their life. They come to a certain area in their life and they have to make a decision. That's a crossroads. Are we in such a place that we can be that help, that assistance, that light, that salt, that city on a hill, that they can see us here at the physical crossroads and think, Man, I need help. I know somebody that goes there, or I know somebody else that goes to Fountainhead, Portland, wherever you may be. I know somebody who goes there, and I need help. All too often, people turn to other things for help and assistance, so perhaps our marketing might could be a little better in that respect. And you yourselves are placed for us. You are in the congregation's place. You, as a disciple of Christ, are in moments, are in events, are in people's lives as a representative for Jesus Christ. That is your placement. And how much are you worth? What are you showing? Are you a good brand representative? Are you marketing Christ in such a way that people think, I want some of that as well? Placement is important. Brother Jeff Archie, I mentioned him uh, several times, but he's an interesting fellow. He used to work for a, for a cookie company, for Nabisco, and I'd go with him sometimes on runs, and he would make sure those cookies and crackers were placed up straight. There's one in the back. He'd reach way back there and pull it up because he wanted his placement of his product to be just so. And when it's there, people will see it. It's eye level. Companies pay for that eye level shot in the grocery store. Ah, oh, here's some crackers. I'll take that. Placement is important. Where are you in your life? Where are we as a congregation? And are we making the most of our placement in this world today? And lastly, promotion. Promotion of a product. And what can we promote here is the question. Well, we can definitely promote our strengths. That's what you want to do. You want to look at what strengths you have and say and tell people, here's our strengths, here's our strengths, this is what we have going on. For instance, we had an amazing vacation Bible school last week. And what I saw then, as I often see most Sundays and Wednesdays at this good congregation, are our strength. People speaking to our visitors. People seeing somebody they don't know and going up and introducing themselves and, and shaking their hands. And when they come back a next time, a second time or a third, you call them by name. And when you do that, the person remembers it. And it puts a good, positive association in their mind with you and with us as a congregation. And whenever they see the activity board out there, whenever they see the ladies' ministry out there, whenever they hear Brody up here talking about what's going on with the congregation, that's why I don't talk about it more. I'm letting him do that. 
And he's promoting us in that, in that particular moment. Whenever he's announcing things, whenever you go out and our young people invite, things, invite people to the youth events and, and to other things that we're doing, those are our strengths because we're an active congregation that wants to reach people here. And then when you look at the missions board and the good work that Brother Allen is overseeing and, and you think, look at where we've been and look at the people that we're reaching. We're promoting that because you, you, you sell the, the sizzle, right? You don't sell the steak, you sell the sizzle. And those are the good things that are going on, and that's what people want to hear, and that's what people want to see. And then whenever you promote those things, you're selling the gospel. The gospel that definitely changes lives. What else can we promote? Well, we've got to be consistent. Be consistent in our living. You ever bought something, it was really good, and the next time it was really bad, you're probably not going to buy that ever again. Because the consistency is off. You've got to be consistent in your Christian living. We've got to create positive associations as well. A lot of people, for one reason or another, have negative associations with Christianity in general. Perhaps with the Church of Christ specifically, or with us as a congregation, I hope not. With you as a person, I hope not. If you're living consistently, you don't have to worry about that, but you want to create positive associations. I started an ad this week where I talk about grace. That's our latest Facebook ad, and it's running right now. If you see me pop up, and my beard's a little longer, and I'm talking, I'm talking about grace. Why is that? Because it's a positive association. It's what people want to hear about. Okay, They don't want to hear about how they're going to hell. Many of them probably think they already are. They don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about grace and how they can be forgiven and how their life can be changed. That's a positive association. Whenever they hear somebody talking about grace, say, we want, we want you to have that gift of grace. We want you to come to understand that and come visit us here at the Birdwell's Chapel Church of Christ. That is a positive association. And always keep in mind, as you think on promotion, you are a brand advocate. As I said earlier, you have a brand on your shirt, on your clothing that you show other people. And you advocate for that brand, whether you know it or not. We are brand advocates for Christ. And you can't market here in the building necessarily. You can a little bit. But you can't market exclusively here in the building. You need to go out. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Go and preach the gospel. Go and teach. Go and tell others about me and my sacrifice. Why don't we more often? Why don't we promote it more often? Well, because we're in hostile territory. If you're a Tennessee Vols fan, and you travel down to the University of Alabama, and you've got your shirt on, your orange, you're in enemy territory at that point. And it's hostile, and it might not be a very good feeling, but... If you have a real, life-changing Christianity, then people will see it, and people will know it, and they will in many ways respect you being that brand advocate. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 as we conclude. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. You see, there is no such thing as a secret disciple. A real disciple. There's no such thing as a secret disciple who's real and who's committed and who's promoting and who's marketing the gospel. There's no such thing as a secret disciple. For the disciple will not allow the secret 
or the secrecy will destroy the disciple. One of the two. Well, Paul tells the Romans here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Paul knew that the new Roman Christians were in hostile territory. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we are overwhelming, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Your King James Version will say, we are more than conquerors. We've got this negative stuff coming at us, we're, we're, we're tried and we're going under pressure, and we even, we even face death. But we are more than conquerors. We can conquer anything that comes at us. And even beyond that, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it is sometimes very difficult to market the gospel. And if not next week, very soon, we're going to talk about understanding the customer. Who that is and how we might engage with them better. But for this morning, I want you to consider, are you marketing your faith in a way that other peoples know all about your product, know all about the gospel? If not, I hope you'll make that change this morning and, and make a commitment this week to talk to that person you've not spoken to before, to send out maybe a message to someone you haven't seen in a while, encourage them to come back, or to study with that person who seems interested, because that's who you're looking for. Pray that that will happen this morning. If we can pray for you, let us do that. Or if you're not a Christian, come forward and let us baptize you and let yourself be added to the body of Christ as we read of in the New Testament. If you have either of these needs, please come forward now as we stand and sing.